by definition God, and that makes it difficult to be an atheist. Um, so philosophically, there, there is a bit of an issue with, um, with atheism uh, if you want to know absolutely with definitive proof that there is no God. Um, before I carry on, let me just say, this month is a weird month at Comet Bay Baptist, for those of you that are visiting. Uh, we are doing more of a, as, uh, almost a lecture series on how we share our faith and how we differ in our faith from uh, other groups in society. So we've looked already at the JWs and, and how do you share Jesus with the JWs? We saw last week, how do we share Jesus with the Mormons? And, and very interesting because those two are in some ways exactly the opposite of each other and yet also the opposite of Christianity. And today we are looking at atheisms, atheisms, atheists who believe that there is no God at all. How do we share God with those who believe that God doesn't exist? Um, Psalm 14 verse 1 says, The fool says in his heart there is no God. And so the first thing you have to do when you meet an atheist friend is you need to say to him, you are a fool. No, don't do that. <laughs> That's the one way to not win them to Christ. But, but the Bible is clear. It, it is a foolish position to not believe that there is a God. God has clearly shown himself to us. If you read Romans 1 verse 18 forwards, uh, it speaks of, of God having revealed himself. And, and I think there are just quickly four ways which God shows himself to the world. He shows um, himself through creation. Psalm 19 verse 1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. This creation that God has made is awesome. Um, we've spoken in the past about uh, the thing called the fine tuning of the universe. There are cosmological constants, um, physics stuff, that if you tweak them just the minuscule of a minuscule of a minuscule amount, life could not exist in our universe. I look at things like that and I go, surely there must be a God. The intricacy of creation speaks to me and I hope to you of the reality of God. I think God also uh, gives a hint of himself through the human desire to worship and know. Um, Ecclesiastes 3.11, the second half says that he has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. But he has given us the sense of there is something out there, there is something beyond us. And, and I think we even see this in the fact that humans always find something to worship. If you don't worship God, you worship something else. A lot of the really strong atheists, although they probably wouldn't say so, I suspect worship intellect or themselves, depending on who you read. Some of them definitely worship themselves. God has clearly shown himself, I believe, in Jesus. God himself has stepped in. He has become human. He has walked amongst us. Uh, in fact, the Bible says if you want to know God, you look at Jesus. I uh, read a, a wonderful thing. It said, um, who here can see the TV waves? You know, right at this moment, Channel 7 is running through your body. 
and Channel 10. Um, I don't know about the rest. But you put a TV set here and all of a sudden those waves become visible. And this guy said, Jesus is the TV set for God. He makes God visible to us. Um, and, and I'd also say that God has revealed himself through the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, uh, raising up in righteousness, etc. At the moment, in our world, the truth is that both skepticism about religion and religion are on the rise. Um, fear and anger towards religion, atheism, uh, skepticism, uh, it's growing in power and influence in our world. But if we look at it, it's also true that, that orthodox belief in the traditional faiths is also growing. Belief in God, whether that is the God of the Bible or not, is a different question. But, but religious belief is growing just as much as atheism is growing in the world today, globally. Uh, and fortunately, as both rise, you do get more emotion and you do get more rhetoric. And you get the Christians who are out to impose their beliefs on us. And they're dragging us back to the dark ages. And then you get those loving, peace-making Christians who go to atheists and say, You're the enemy of the truth. You're a purveyor of relativism. Boy, that sounds really nasty, purveyor of relativism. And you know what? There's, there's some truth in what they say there. It, it, there's a problem, though, if we want to speak to atheists and skeptics about our faith. Do you know what the problem is? Uh, the problem is, when one has an argument, the reason one can argue is because you hold a common point. Like you, you come from a common basis that you can argue around. But when you come from an argument between Christianity, say, and atheism, you are arguing from fundamentally different understandings of reality. So a Christian would say, well, the Bible says, and an atheist would say, well, so what? Quite often Christians are bemused that atheists cannot see the obvious truth. And atheists are bemused that Christians have faith. Let's actually have a look. What is faith? It's an important question. Because if we look in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, we see that, that faith is what makes us right in God's sight. It says, we have been made right in God's sight by faith. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Um, the word faith has many meanings. Um, the Oxford English Dictionary says that the basic meaning is trust, reliance, uh, belief. And so if you look at the dictionary definition, the Oxford Dictionary, um, you can say, I have faith in science, I trust science, and I believe in science, and it all means the same thing. In fact, we see this in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. The Bible says that faith means the same as trust, means the same 
as believe. Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 says the following, Abraham or Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. He believed the Lord, God counted him righteous because of his faith. As, as far as the Bible is concerned, you can speak about believing God. It's, it's synonymous with having faith in God. In other words, uh, when it comes to, to how Christians speak and how the Bible speak, I can say, I believe God. It's identical with me saying, I trust God. It's identical with me saying, I have faith in God. Now, hopefully this is not rocket science. Do you guys get what I'm, get what I'm saying? Is this how we speak? I trust, I believe, I have faith. Now, atheists say that they believe that God doesn't exist, but that they have no faith. Dawkins says, faith is belief where there is no evidence. Mark Twain, in his um, Southern American drawl, which I can't do, says, faith is believing what you know ain't true. So that's the atheist position, that the word faith is not the same as the word believing, is not the same as the word trust. That faith is believing without evidence. Now who here believes without evidence? Well, I want to suggest, actually, that there is evidence for what we believe. And I want to suggest that that Christian faith is evidence-based. And the more evidence we get, the more we trust. And as I said a few weeks ago, sometimes we'll get evidence which, which makes us go, oh, is this true? And then we have to look it up again, and we, we look again, and, and we look at the evidence, and we look at more evidence, and we, we come hopefully to the conclusion, yes, God is my Savior, through Jesus. We read today in John chapter 20, verses 26 forwards, about the story of Thomas, one of my favorite of the um, apostles, unfairly called the Doubting Thomas. I'd rather call him Faithful Thomas because he is a man of true faith. He's a man who refused to believe without evidence. The other disciples had seen the risen Jesus. Thomas, who by the way was just as much a Jesus man as the rest of them. And let's remind ourselves that all the disciples didn't believe Jesus was real until they saw him. Uh, Alive again, I mean. Thomas is there, he says, look, not going to believe it. Not going to believe it until I see him and I touch him and I know for myself that he is real. Now, there's an atheist writer called Begini who, sh- who says that, that if we look at John chapter 20, let's just read it. Um, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, place my hand into the wound in his side. Begini, the atheist writer, says that this story shows that Christianity endorses the principle that it is good to believe what you have no evidence to believe. Let's read on. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them, and the doors were locked. Suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into my wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Believe. 
My Lord and my God! Thomas replied and exclaimed. Jesus told him, You believe because you have seen me. Blessed those who believe without seeing me. Thomas believed because of what he saw. He had evidence. And so he believed that Jesus was risen from the dead. In fact, he goes further. He says, Jesus, you are risen from the dead. You're not only my Lord, you are my God. But what about the end bit? Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Are the atheists right that Christianity is a religion where you just have to believe because you have to believe? Well, no. Seeing, like Thomas saw, is just one kind of evidence. Testimony is another kind of evidence. Who here understands how x-rays work? I know someone who does as well. But do you believe x-rays work? Why do you believe x-rays work? Because there's evidence. You don't see the actual x-rays, but you see the evidence. And in fact, if you want to know how they work, you can go to Nadine and say, Nadine, tell me how they work. And she can tell you. Now, she can tell me just because she's told me doesn't mean that I can't believe it because I trust Nadine. Because I know she works with them every day. It's the same sort of thing that we have with Christianity. Yes, we haven't seen Jesus ourselves, but Thomas did and the others did and we have their testimony and we believe them when they say that they saw the risen Christ. And I, I, we look at them and we see, right, is it just something they said? No, it's something they lived out. They believed it to the point where they died for it. The evidence, I think, on weight goes to Jesus being God which by definition goes to God being real. And in fact, look at what John does next. The very point he says of writing his gospel is to record a collection of the stuff that Jesus did that bears witness to his identity as God incarnate. John saw the evidence as sufficient for those of us who did not directly observe the events in question. I believe the Second World War happened. I've read about it. The evidence is there. I believe Jesus rose from the, de- rose from the death. I've read about it. The evidence is there. Romans ten seventeen says that faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. And the Bible gives us eyewitness evidence for Jesus, evidence to trust on. And so the, the debate, I think, with atheists should not so much be, well, I, I think the debate should be that there is evidence. Is there evidence that Jesus is who he claims to be? And the Bible, I think, is one form of evidence. A few weeks ago, I asked you, whoever doubts their faith? Can I just see again, whoever doubts their faith? Timothy Keller, this is a fantastic book, The Reason for God. If you haven't read it, borrow it. It's brilliant. He says, a faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. Those of us who go through life without 
considering or probing the hard questions about why we believe what we believe, we'll so easily find ourselves defenseless either when something tragic happens in our life or when a really clever atheist comes and discusses with us. A faith that has for years failed to deal with its own doubts can collapse very easily. You see, it's not, it's not enough to believe what you've believed because you've always believed it. The Christian life is a life of struggling long and hard with the objections to our faith, whether they're your own objections or somebody else's objections. The Bible says that, that, that our faith, the Christian tradition, the Christian religion is true. And if it's true, it's got to stand up against all the challenges that come against it. And I believe if we struggle long and hard, we will provide grounds for our beliefs to ourselves and to those who come against us. And, and not just... I have faith arguments. It's so irritating when somebody say, you say to somebody, why do you believe that and say, I have faith? Because that's not the word faith. That's not how the Bible uses faith. The Bible uses the word faith in terms of believing and trusting and why do you believe? If we approach our faith like this, our faith will be strengthened and we will have respect and understanding for those who question. I want to suggest that the Christian religion is one which encourages questioning. 1 Thessalonians says that we are to test everything. How are we going? Are, we still, are you still with me? Okay, do, you want to, do you want to have some, some quick common questions that we might be asked? I'll fly through them. I realize our time is, is running out. Um, isn't science the enemy of Christianity? Who says science opposes Christianity? Oh, might not do this one then. Um, you'll oppose it. Good. What does your wife do again? <laughs> the atheist Michael Onfray says that God puts to death everything that stands up to him, beginning with reason, intelligence, and the critical mind. That's what the militant atheists are saying these days. But the Bible shows a God who is very much pro-reason. Um, in, in fact, the first of the Ten Commandments says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind. Um, and in fact, the Bible encourages science. The first thing that God tells Adam to do is to name the animals. Naming stuff is one of the most basic elements of science. God kicks off science in Genesis. Isn't that fantastic? Uh, and look at C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says men became scientific because they expected law in nature. They expected law in nature because they believed in a lawgiver. Um, let's talk about the Big Bang. I love the Big Bang. It was uh, the, the theory that led to it um, was discovered by a guy called Georges Lemaitre. I don't speak French. Who was an astronomer but was also a priest. Um, he argued from this theory that there must have been a creation-like event. Now, you get Christians today who say, Big Bang is evil, but have a listen to what Einstein thought of it. He said that he was suspicious of it because it reminded him too much of the Christian doctrine of creation. 
1960, uh, a scientist, Sir John Maddox, there was more evidence for a Big Bang theory, and it's still just a theory. He said, the idea of a beginning is thoroughly unacceptable. It implies an ultimate origin of our world and gives those who believe in the biblical doctrine of creation ample justification for their beliefs. Science, if, if the Bible is true, then it stands up against anything. And the fact is, if, if we discover how God works, the Bible doesn't tell us how the universe works, but it also doesn't contradict that. And there are four ways that science and religion can interact. They can be in conflict, or they can be totally independent. Like, faith is faith, dude. Science is science, but I believe. That one's out. Um, dialogue is another option. Integration is another option. So let's, let's explore something easy. What about evolution? Evolution, for those of you that have been living under a rock, in which case you will soon become a different creature, evolution theory says that um, more complex life forms evolve from less complex life forms through the process of natural selection. Now, there is, let's just be clear, this is still a theory, and there are some good scientific reasons to say that it's not how it works on a macro species level. Um, it is also true that genetic mutation does happen, that genes do cross from species to species. The flu bug changes every year. That, that's a kind of evolution. The, the bug evolves. Um, many Christians, well, this is going to shock some of you, many Christians believe that God brought life about through an evolutionary process. This might shock you even more. The Catholic Church has pronounced that evolution is compatible with Christianity. Here's the point. Christians can believe in there being a process called evolution without believing in philosophical naturalism, which is what in pop culture we call evolution. Uh, what is philosophical naturalism? It's the view that everything has a natural cause and that organic life is solely the product of random forces guided by nobody. I would humbly, not so humbly, suggest that if you're a Christian, you cannot believe that. Because that's, that's philosophy anyway. That's not science. Richard Dawkins says that if you believe in evolution as a process, as in the flu bug changes even, um, then you must believe that everything is down to natural causes. Which is drivel. Uh, Francis Collins... You, has anyone heard of Francis Collins? He used to be head of the Human Genome Project, mapping out the human DNA. Fascinating guy, he was an atheist. Um, he's now a Christian. Now, he, he's a geneticist. He believes in evolutionary science. He, he doesn't much like the intelligent design movement that says species don't change. Um, but he believes that the universe is so finely tuned uh, that there is a beauty and order in nature that, that points to a divine creator. And he still says, I believe that Jesus died for me, that he is God, and that he is my Lord. Is he a Christian? Yes, absolutely. There are so many different models um, proposed in the Christian world about how God relates to the development of life forms that we see today. Um, you get creation science Christians um, 
unfortunately, they tend to be in, in they tend to have a conflict model of relating to science. Um, they they insist that Genesis one teaches God created all life forms in a period of six literal twenty four hour days just a few thousand years ago. Um, now there are some of you here who will believe that, I would imagine. Personally, I think there are some problems with that approach. Um, and if you want to know, I can tell you later. Uh, others take the independent approach to science and religion, and they go, well, God started it all off, and then natural causes took over. And you know, I always go like this, because they're all sort of wafty-wafty. Faith is there. The Bible shows us God is intimately involved in his creation. He doesn't start things off and then go and have a cup of tea. That's ridiculous. I'm sorry. Some Christians, though, do believe that. I, I would say they need to have a good look at the Bible. In fact, all of these positions need to have a good look at the Bible. Um, others uh, hold that God created life and then God guided natural processes to develop all complex life forms from simpler ones. Um, so God acts on evolution. There are Christians who believe that. Others say that, that there are gaps in the fossil record, that species seem to appear rather than just develop from simpler life forms. And they say that God created and performed large-scale creative events at different points over a long period of time. Um, this is kind of where, where I would probably put myself. The relationship of science to the Bible really hinges on, on how we read both what science says and what the Bible says. Now, let's be clear. The Bible is the infallible Word of God. But if it is the truth, this truth of God will not conflict with the truth of God as revealed in nature. God doesn't lie in nature and l tell the truth in the Bible or lie in the Bible and tell the truth in nature. God is truth. Everything he does is true. Um, the main goal of, of understanding the Bible is to discover what the person who wrote it, and ultimately God through them, meant. Uh, and part of that is we, we need to read it in terms of the genre in which it is written. And so when we come to the Psalms, and it speaks about dashing children against the rocks, we've got to think to ourselves, hey, this is poetry. You don't read it as history, you read it as poetry. When you come to, to Acts, you say, well, this is like history. We've got to read it as history. Um, it, it's pretty false to say that if you can't take one bit of the Bible literally, you can't take any of it literally. I don't take some of the Psalms literally when it speaks about the four corners of the earth in Isaiah, for instance. I don't take it literally. He's being poetic. I, I think we all get that. The problem comes in that there are some bits of the Bible where it's really difficult to say what genre it is. And of course, to make life easy for us, Genesis 1 is one of those points. Huge debate amongst Christians. Is it literal? Is it poetry? Is it narrative? Is it history? What style of writing is this? Personally, I, I, I see from Genesis 1 that the structure of it, 
that, that it seems to be more poetic. Um, but there are Christians who disagree with me. And we haven't for the last 2,000 years, forget that, go back longer than that through Jewish history, we haven't agreed on the structure of it. We each come and say, this is why I think it's like this, but I can't tell you for definitively that that is the case. The debate goes on. And, and on, the structure of Genesis 1 determines whether you can take it as poetic or literal, determines whether it has to be a literal six days or whether it can be a long period of time. Look, what's the point of all of this? Why, why am I going through Genesis 1 here? If Christians can occupy different positions on the style and meaning of Genesis 1 and still be Christians... And can they? Yes. And if Christians can have different ideas on how God made and still be Christians, can they? Then when we come to our atheist friends, our first point should not be to say, right, you need to believe this is how it is done. Look, you can, we can try and convince them about our point of view, but... But those who are considering Christianity as a whole shouldn't allow themselves to be distracted by a debate within Christianity. I wish I could say that Christianity has got this settled. I like answers. But the fact is that there are, there is still debate around this whole question of how God did it. Any Christian who believes that God did it is a Christian. If you say it just happened, you've got issues. So when we come to an atheist, we've got to admit that Christians debate this, that they disagree. And, and as I said, by all means, let's say this is where, where I come down. This is what I believe. This is how I believe God did it. And, and, and let's, let's show that we've wrestled with the question. Let's give the reasons why we've come down. This particular line. Yeah, I, I believe that it was a literal six days and I believe it because of this and this and this and this and this. Or, yeah, I, I believe that, that God created over a long period of time and he, he did specific things and I see the, the gap in the fossil record and it just seems like species appear in large-scale events. And, and just give reasons for why we believe what we believe. Read the Bible and say, oh, look, I, I believe it because I, I see this as literal and its, it's, uh, its structure is not poetic to me, but other people say that it is. When it comes down to the whole question of evolution and creation, going to an atheist and say, I believe this, and they say, why? You say, because I believe it. It's not good enough. It's not a good enough convincing argument for them and I don't think it's a good enough for us because remember God wants to engage our minds we have to love him with all of our minds it's a cop-out we've got to know why we believe what we believe and we really should <laughs> read widely read the the people that we don't agree with as well and if you've got the web read answers in genesis.org who come from a creation science perspective. If you've got the red web, read reasons.org, who come from a um, 
not a creation science perspective. They come from the middle perspective. I'm going to skip out um, the last little bit on miracles because I think our time is up. But let's just finish. You know what, for the last two weeks I've said that there are two important things to do when we deal with Mormons and JWs. And the same two things are important when we deal with, with atheists. Our church motto is loving God, loving people. We have to love them. Loving them means that we listen to them and we take them seriously and we don't say, you're just thicko. Thicko, thick, thicko. We, We actually walk with them. Let's be open with them. Let's say, hey, you know what? Christianity, we're we're happy to debate these things. I believe God is true, and and if God is true, then he will be true no matter what science says. And science will not stand against him because God made science. Let's treat them with love and compassion. Let's say, hey, I've had doubts, and this this is how I've walked through those. This is the evidence that has convinced me again. But the most important thing to do is to pray. The Bible says that the God of this world has blinded those of this world, that they cannot see the truth. You know what? You can reason until the cows come home. You can give evidence until the cows come home. If you don't want to see it, you're not going to see it. Our job is not to open, our, open eyes. Our job is to testify, to witness to give evidence and to pray that God would open eyes, that people would accept that. Anyone been challenged this morning? Good. I know I have. Um, It has not been a pleasant week reading book after book about how people think we are stupid. But you know it's been good. Because I think, having read books like this, Reason for God, fantastic book, John Lennox, one of the foremost apologists of our age. You know what? There is so much proof for God. There is so much evidence. I find it in science. I find it in the Bible. I find it as I walk with God. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for loving us. Thank you for giving evidence of yourself. Help us to be loving and gentle and kind with those around us. I pray that you would help us to wrestle with our faith. Lord, that we would not believe simply because we believe, but that we would, that we would seek to, to understand why we believe the things that you say. Lord, thank you that you have given us ample evidence. Thank you that you do not lie. Lord, you are the truth incarnate, Jesus. You made all things. You hold all things together. And the truth cannot hold the lie together. And we thank you for that. Amen. Sir Colin, if anyone would like to borrow these books, they are on the front table.